And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing there with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as, your, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it is not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did, he see, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thank you, Adam. As soon as Adam announced the passage, someone near me said, wow, that's a long passage. Well, I assure you that I have no more than 100 pages of notes this morning on this passage, so just relax. Uh, kidding, of course. <clears throat> now, we, uh, I so appreciated Eric's message last week, and what Eric did not realize is that the Spirit of God was using him to introduce what God had already put on my heart to share with you during these weeks. And uh, his reminder last week that we are, as God's people, who have experienced his transforming grace, we have one task, and that is to proclaim Christ to the world. And by the way, evangelism is the only job, sharing Christ with this world is the only thing that the church does on earth that she can't do in heaven. Everything else, worship, praise, prayer, all those things will go on from earth to heaven. But on earth, while we're here, and if you will, while we're behind enemy lines, we do the will of our commander. I want to remind you what Jesus said. After his resurrection, he remained on earth about 40, year, 40 week, days before ascending into heaven, and he gave us what we call the Great Commission. This is what it says. Go, therefore. Do you see that highlighted part? That's the only imperative in this passage. It's the command. Make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? We do that by these three, what we call in Greek language, participles by going into our world, by baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching people to observe what Jesus has commanded. Now, the people of God know very well what baptism is all about. We see that often, and we love it. It blesses our hearts to see someone come into the faith and make their faith public. We do a lot of teaching of the Bible, but we don't do a lot of going well. Now, by going, I mean going into our individual contexts. We do send missionaries. That's a good thing. And some of us do have a concern about the people around us who are lost. But we also have a lot of baggage that keeps us from saying something sometimes. This message today, I hope, will help you let go of your baggage, be more secure in what God the Holy Spirit has done on this particular day in church history, the day when the Holy Spirit is given to the church. And this teaching, if, if you're having trouble knowing how God can control you and use you in the world, this message is for you today. Do I have any listeners? 
Again, I appreciate Eric reminding us of our one task. No matter how we make a living, regardless of what other earthly duties necessarily occupy our time, where our radar ought to always be on to be able to proclaim Christ to someone. That's what the day of Pentecost is all about. So as we've read here in the text, and I'm not going to reread the text. That's why I wanted Adam to do it for you. I will be referencing it, though, throughout the message. Jesus, uh, here the Spirit comes. So this is obviously uh, the power of God coming upon the apostles. And so I'm calling this first section the power of God announced. This is God making an announcement that things are now going to be different. Um, Do you remember just one chapter back where Luke, the author of this book, quotes Jesus in chapter 1, verse 8 with these words, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Did you catch that? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The passage that we have in front of us today is an immediate fulfillment of that prophecy. But the question arises as we try to understand the passage, and maybe you've asked this question before, why wind, why fire, why speaking in tongues? Our denomination doesn't embrace uh, that gift of the Spirit. So you you have to, as an honest Bible student, by the way, I didn't say I didn't embrace it. I said our denomination doesn't. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God, His way, according to His Word. But let's get back to the text. That was, that was free, that was without charge. Why these manifestations? Wind, the sound of wind fills the room. Wind, beloved, is a biblical imagery for the Holy Spirit. Remember who is present. These are Jews from all over the world. They are familiar with the Old Testament. Ezekiel 37, 9 says this. By the way, Ezekiel 37 is that prophecy of the dry bones. You probably remember that from your Sunday school days. The prophesy to the breath, God says to Ezekiel. Breath, as I've highlighted on the screen, is the translation of the Hebrew ruach. And it also means wind. Wind. So prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And as this vision unfolds, you see these bones coming together because the Spirit of God has brought them together to revitalize Israel from death to life. And that is, that is an imagery that these Jewish people would have had in their minds as they heard the wind. Furthermore, Jesus taught and he equated wind with the work of the Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The sound of wind in that room, now here's the point, the sound of wind in that room was God drawing a picture for these people. 
so that they would connect the Old Testament prophets and the words of Jesus and understand that these things are being fulfilled right now in their presence. Then tongues of fire appeared over the apostles. To make sense of this, we actually need to remember John the Baptist's prophecy. He said, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Wind and fire go together. Here's what John, uh, Jesus said of John the Baptist. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Notice that these two things go together. The winnowing fan produces a separation of the wheat from the chaff, and in this case, the wind of the Spirit separates this people as God's set-apart people. The, uh, the fire then burns up the chaff. It is a purification of this people for the work of God. This is incredibly, incredibly significant because Israel was a nation with God's call upon it, a call to disseminate the truth of worship of only one God throughout the earth. And in this calling, they consistently failed. Yet it was on God's heart from the beginning that all the world should know who he is. Listen to the prophecy to Abraham in the very beginning through you. What are those words? Say it loud. All the earth shall be blessed. God's heart was for all the world to know who he was. But here, the Spirit of God has come himself. In light of Israel's consistent failure, God himself has brought about the prophetic word, and he himself is bringing the Holy Spirit into the world so that his heart for people to know would be accomplished. And that is why Peter, in the message that you just heard read, connects back to Joel's prophecy. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on who? On all flesh. And it shall come to pass that, how many? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So on the day of Pentecost, the spirit came to purify his people so that his plan, God's plan of world evangelization would finally be carried out. That's really cool, isn't it? But why speaking in tongues? Well, thanks for asking. <laughs> All right, let me clarify something here. Speaking in tongues here is not a hodgepodge of meaningless syllables. It is true human languages that the speakers never took the time to learn through normal human means. Learning a language takes a really long time, especially as you start as an adult. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah, for sure. Why is this significant then that these men started speaking in languages they'd never learned? Well, the short answer is because it would be undeniably that God himself is doing something. There's a longer answer, though, and that's what preachers do. We give you long answers. But it's really cool. So hang on. Here it comes. They're Galileans. 
Galileans are known for being uncultured. They are, forgive the term, they're the rednecks of Palestine. They don't pronounce their words properly. They, they swallow gutturals and um, they're looked down upon by the more refined people of the area. But this is so amazing. The term that Luke used under the inspiration of the Spirit, the, God, the Spirit of God is guiding him as he chooses Greek words to use. And as he writes, he, under, he uses this word, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This word communicates weighty, auricular, grammatically correct language. Can I just suggest to you the Holy Spirit didn't do a halfway miracle? <laughs> These unlearned men are speaking the things of God to people in a language they've never learned, and they're not only doing that, but they're speaking in the highest form of that language. Wow. God is showing without a doubt that he has filled them with his presence in order to demonstrate that God and God alone is working here. So what should we take away from what we've learned so far? Well, first of all, that the fire as tongues, now this is something you need to take, to, take home with you today, okay? The fire as tongues communicates that a, there is a, the Holy Spirit intends to control the tongue. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in the languages. They proclaimed Christ in the languages of the people. God anoints the tongue, the proclamation with the mouth. Secondly, there is a multilingual demonstration. This shows us without a doubt that God's heart is the universal offer of salvation. Thirdly, the multinational fruit that we saw tells us that God's heart is for every nation, every culture under heaven. That is why the church has adopted a worldwide missional effort from the very beginning. I love it that Samuel Stone in the 19th century wrote the hymn, The Church is One Foundation, because in it he captures this. He says, elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. So there's some significant miracles here, right? So the, the, the honest Bible student asked the question, how come what we see in Acts is so different from what we see in the church today? Anybody ever been that honest with God? I have. God doesn't really mind your honesty, by the way. Well, let me take us back to the text. Well, let's ask that question. What about miracles? Let's ask, by the way, we believe in miracles, right? Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, every born-again person is a miracle. Yeah, because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and I believe in other types of miracles too. So, but let me take you to this. Because sometimes we seek the sensational. We should not do that. Even in the text themselves, let's, let's observe some things. Everyone heard the apostles speaking their native tongues, but there were some reactions, and they're different. One is amazement. Verse 7, they were all amazed. And marveled, saying, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? There it is again. There's that, huh, they're Galileans. <laughs> they're, they're amazed. Some are perplexed. Verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying, whatever could this mean? Some others resisted. 
Others mocking, verse 13 said, they are full of new wine. What's the point? There's not a uniformity in their conclusions. And that's my point. The miraculous itself, beloved, is not self-authenticating. The miraculous is not self-authenticating. It needs an explanation. And the explanation comes when you proclaim the gospel of Christ. Yeah, does God do unusual things today? Absolutely. We need to, Eric and I were talking before the service, we need to, God needs to open our eyes and let us see those things. But the miracles are not themselves self-authenticating. They only announce that God is present doing something. That is an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And that's what Peter does. He sees what's happening. He's, a, he's filled with the Spirit, and he steps forward uh, because of the mixed reactions, and he brings a message that is incredibly significant. Notice how he begins in uh, verse 14. Men of Judea, uh, let this be known. These men are not drunk. So because of the mixed reaction, he steps forward. Now, this is a great message by Peter, and I just want to remind you that Peter has a habit of um, rushing in where angels fear to tread. <laughs> he doesn't do that here. No, he's, he's obviously filled with the Spirit, and this is, takes us into point two of the message. Uh, this, is, this message is all, this account is all one account. We break it up into points for the convenience of talking about it. The power of God unleashed. Something has taken place in Peter that he may not even have had time to think about and process. But it's visible to those around him. It illustrates what the power of God looks like when it comes upon you. And if you've ever wondered, am I ever going to be uh, controlled by God like these people in the scriptures were, you've got some good news coming right now. Because this illustrates what the power of God looks like when it comes. First of all, accuracy with the scriptures. Verses 14 through 21, Peter takes them to the prophet Joel, and he shows Joel's prophecy of these coming days, and he announces that this is, in fact, the fulfillment of Joel's words. He is filled, Peter is filled with the Spirit. His mind is quickened. His memory is stimulated. His mouth becomes the instrument of God for telling and proclaiming salvation through Christ. He immediately connects that Scripture with what's happening today, scriptural accuracy. And when you're controlled by God, by God, and you've probably experienced this already, haven't you ever thought when you're talking to somebody and, and a, a passage comes to mind that, that you weren't planning on saying, but it's there, that's the Spirit of God filling you and, and guiding you. Secondly, he became bold in his proclamation. There's three subpoints here that I want to tell you. So if you're taking notes, make sure you write really small here. There's boldness, first of all, to connect the present reality, what people are seeing, to the reality of who Jesus was. Notice verse 22. Attested by God to you. This is, now this is something they already knew. Remember, it's only 50 days from the crucifixion, from Passover. Some of these people were following the ministry of Jesus. Notice the language here. Attested to God by, to, by God to you 
by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So this is not news to them. So Peter is bold, and he says, you've already seen this. You've hung around. You've watched Jesus. You've, you've seen, and now you've seen the ministry, the, the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. This is a very nice way of saying, guys, get a clue. Get a clue. And then he is bold to deal with their guilt. With their guilt. By the way, true proclamation of Christ always deals with people's guilt. We are all guilty before God for the death of Christ. Sinners caused his death. We are all guilty. But he deals specifically with their guilt. And he proclaims to this multitude that they themselves were guilty of the death of Christ. Verse 23, him being delivered. I love this verse because you have both the sovereign will of God and the evil actions of men in the same verse. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. I don't think Peter had ever taken a course in how to win friends and influence people. But he does, under the control of the Holy Spirit, deal with their sin. Boldly. In his mind, in Peter's mind, don't miss this, there are people in this crowd who stood in front of Pilate and are guilty of the blood of Christ. I'm going to show that to you in a moment. And then he proclaims the superiority of Jesus Christ over circumstances that sinful men brought upon him, whom God raised up. <laughs> Having loosed the pains of death, and don't you love this? Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. <laughs> I love Jesus' words that, I, I, that come to mind here. He said, you, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to take it up again. The power of the Holy Spirit coming upon Peter comes upon him with accuracy in the Scriptures, boldness in proclamation, because what happened here brought about a conviction of hearts in those who heard. Notice in verse 37, at the end of the verse, they say to Peter, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Have you ever had somebody come to you that was so convicted of their lostness, and they said, what do I need to do? Well, Peter tells them that. He gives them an offer of hope. They were cut to the heart. They were beside themselves with guilt. And beloved, God's a God of hope. The fact that there is a gospel message. What does gospel mean? It's, the, it's what we, uh, how we translate the Greek word evangelion, which means good news. Good news. That's gospel. Well, there's not good news unless it's contrasted to bad news, right? The bad news is that we're lost. We're all headed toward a Christless eternity in the lake of fire. The good news is God delivers us from that because of Christ's substitutionary suffering in our behalf. And what happens here as he offers them hope is absolutely incredible. This blows me away. I just about can't contain myself. Because as we said a moment ago, 50 days earlier, some of these people are standing in front of Pilate 
And they say, we have no king but Caesar. His blood be on us and our children. That is a horrible thing to say. They were caught up in the political frenzy of the day. But I want you to look at what God does through his servant Peter, who's filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 39. The promise is to you. And who else? And your children. God remembers the stupidity of what they said. God remembers their foolishness on that impassioned, foolish day. And God comes in their point of guilt and need, and he says, my promise is to you and the ones you cursed by your sinful behavior. What an incredible, merciful God we serve. Can anybody say amen to that? I didn't hear you. Y'all are way too stoic. <laughs> so, what happened? What's the fruit of God's power? Why does God, the Holy Spirit, anoint human beings with his power? The answer is one word. Souls. Souls. So that people will believe. That day, about 3,000 people believe as a result of the Spirit's anointing of Peter's heart and tongue as he proclaims the gospel of Christ. And by the way, I just want to clarify something here. The coming of the Holy Spirit, if you are filled with the Spirit, it is not for personal edification, although that probably does happen to some degree. It is not a shifting of your spirituality into overdrive so that you're now not just a common saint, you're one of these. That's not what the Bible teaches. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the filling, the controlling, the empowering, as one of my students this past week said, the leaning into God's grace is for the equipping, your equipping, so that can, the lost can be saved. So that the lost can be saved. God's goal is to populate heaven. Can I say that again? God's goal is to populate heaven. On the celebration of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion, God began a great ingathering of souls that will be completed someday when Christ returns to gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. But there's something wonderful I need to draw to your attention as we circle the field here and try to land this message. Something wonderful here. In the first verse of this passage, the day of Pentecost... <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, we read that and we just read it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come and we just keep reading. But you got to pause. you got to pause with me for a minute and uh, stay with me here. Listen to this. Pentecost is the Greek word Pentecostus. It just means 50th part. It refers to the Jewish Feast of Weeks that you read about in the Old Testament. It was the Greek terminology for it. The, the Jewish Feast of Weeks was there to celebrate the beginning of another harvest year. Obviously, in the heart of God, he's not just concerned for fruits and vegetables. <laughs> it is looking forward to something. And Luke, writing under the control of the Holy Spirit, 
And the Spirit is guiding him not only in what he says, but the way he says it, because that's what we believe about the inspiration of Scripture, is that every single word down to the tenses of the words are exactly the way the Holy Spirit intends for them to be. Luke chooses this word fully by God's design. Now, what does that mean? Dave, why are you saying all this? Because here's the point. The day of Pentecost is not just a Jewish feast, and it isn't any longer just a picture. It has fully come. The picture is now a reality. Are you with me on that? Is that not amazing? The great ingathering of souls has begun. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost demonstrates that God is the central focus of his work. God did a work on the day of Pentecost that is indisputably him. And the Spirit's signs and gifts are bestowed to fulfill the plan of God that was from the beginning, that some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who would gather around his throne forever to praise, honor, and glorify him. Aren't you glad you get to be in that crowd? All right, you know me as a real curious Bible student, and I am. So I ask the question, how come we don't see more signs in our day? Have you ever asked that question? Well, some people would say unbelief, and I'll go with that. I think we need to believe God more. But I also want to show you something from the inspired record that might surprise you. The record of Acts... Even in this record, we find we are kind of hard-pressed to see patterns of signs in their day. We have wind, fire, and speaking in tongues. There is actually no more mention of wind and fire in the book of Acts. That was a unique event for that moment, which we've already explained. But what about speaking in tongues? Why is that meant? Is it ever mentioned again? Yes, it is. But before we get there, let me go back to the outline of the book, to Acts 1.8. Jesus quotes, or sorry, Luke quotes Jesus here. You shall be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Luke takes these words of Jesus and he forms the structure of Acts around these words. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Chapters 1 through 7, Luke focuses on the gospel in Jerusalem. At the beginning of chapter 8, there's a persecution by Saul, this Pharisee named Saul, and the church is scattered, and they go everywhere preaching the gospel. Where? In the next few chapters, we, talk, we, we get to see uh, something happening in Samaria. God forced the gospel out. And then uh, 13 to 28 is to the uttermost parts of the earth. We do see speaking in tongues two more times in the book. We see it at Pentecost, obviously, we just did. In chapter 10, we see it with Cornelius, who's a Gentile. He works for Rome. That's not cool if you're a Jew. Uh, but he is, he is one of those people that God has been working in his own heart and soul. And while he's a Gentile and while he works for the occupying, occupying army, he also is a good man giving alms. He's devout. And he knows about Jesus. He's just never acted on it. God brings him and Peter together. Uh, he believes, and the Spirit is bestowed. Why is that significant? Because Peter says, do I have it here next? Well, let me go to this one. Uh, other regions. Uh, here's what Peter says when Cornelius gets saved, and the Spirit comes 
just like it did at Pentecost. He says, can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? That's incredibly significant because here's what Luke is doing. As the Spirit's work, as, as the gospel penetrates each new area of the world, remember Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts, as it penetrates a new area, the Holy Spirit comes in the same way he did at Pentecost. Why? Well, you have to remember how judgmental and racial and sectarian the Jews were. And this is God giving them a divine demonstration that was necessary for them to conclude that God's, that Christ's gospel is for all people everywhere, no matter what culture, no matter what ethnicity or race they were. Here's the message in a nutshell, folks. That word that's kind of cut off there. Oh, it's not cut off here. It's cut off back there. Um, I'm glad about that. When the Spirit controls us, when we are under the control of the Spirit, acting in obedience, it manifests, He'll manifest Himself the same way through us as He did in the inspired account, with biblical accuracy, with boldness, with the offer of hope. Accuracy. Well, Dave, I don't know the Bible very well. You know some of it, don't you? Well, then you'll be accurate in as much as you know it. So you keep studying. Uh, I'm not a bold person by nature. Well, that's okay. God made you the way you are. But boldness is not being an out-front nincompoop. Okay? It means confidence. Do you believe God has spoken in his word? You're confident of that? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Are you confident of that? Well, then God will use you with your confidence and your personality, the way he wired you to be bold. But don't forget, the gospel is hope. We offer sinners hope. It is not his will that any should perish. 1 John 2, 2 says that he himself is the wrath ending sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only but also for how many for the whole world what how this is how you engage the great commission beloved this is how you walk in obedience under the control of the spirit this is how pentecost continues to live in the people of god and can i just remind you jesus said if you love me you will keep my commands I believe everyone sitting in this room wants to obey Christ. I don't believe we all do it all the time, and that includes your speaker. But we want to, don't we? And that's part of sanctification, that we continually lay down our faults, lay down our weaknesses and, and the things that we have stumbled over so that little by little we are more and more like Christ, more and more filled with his spirit, more and more engaging in obedience what he's called us to do with the people around us. Think of for a moment of the people in your context. You know, the, the command by Jesus is for the church to go into all the world. That's not an individual command. That's a command for the church of every nation of every age. Because we can't physically, no one individual can physically go to the whole world. That's, that's, that command is for the church of every age and every nation. 
But who is the world in your context? That's the world God has called you to. Dear ones, if you can just go through life, hear me carefully, if you can just go through life and remain unconcerned about people's eternal souls, something is desperately wrong with you. Something is desperately wrong. I don't know what it is, but something is. I dare say that you may not yet fully understand the grace of God. At the very least, some of us need to be delivered from our own tendencies toward thinking of ourselves too much. A believer in Jesus Christ has a heart compass, I like to say, a heart that always points to the true north of God's pleasure. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. We want to please God. So I invite you as we close and as we bow our heads, would you go ahead and bow? Would you confess whatever is keeping you from being completely controlled and empowered by the living Lord Jesus Christ through the presence of his spirit? Would you do that now? walked into this room with sin in your heart that is unconfessed, that'll, that'll hinder the Spirit's control of you. Confess that. Take this opportunity. Take it as a means of grace and mercy to just lay it before Him. Do you lack confidence? Stay in the Word. Believe what God has said. Believe that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will change you. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Oh, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Oh, Holy Spirit, do again in us what we know that you intend to do. Fall fresh on us. Amen. Please stand and join me as we sing. Uh, this is a wonderful song, of two verses of which are our weakness and the Father's strength. <clears throat> Savior say thy strength in need is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left 
left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and thine alone Can change the leper's spots And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Amen. Thank you, Douglas. Just to... Uh, Thank you for praying for me this week. I returned from the Dominican Republic late last night and um, had a great week uh, with young people who are in a program that's kind of like a gap program between high school and college, and they're not sure what they're doing with their lives, so they're, they've come down to the Dominican Republic to this uh, program that's operated by SCORE International out of Chattanooga to, uh, to really be trained in what it means to full-time serve the Lord as missionaries. And I had the delight of being one of their Bible teachers this week. And God, God blessed me. I hope he blessed them. But he blessed me, for sure, by being with them. So thank you for those of you who prayed. Let us consider...